This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of Hayao Miyazaki for Friday, June 19th, 2020. Adam. This is weird for you. What? This is weird for you. Oh, you mean my disdain for the anime genre? Is your, that what you're referring your to here? unjust disdain anime uh, uh, hatred, whatever it is. I don't get it at all because I don't know how many animes you've actually seen. <laughs> I admit, not many. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where's this coming from? It's just okay. Here is: Are we really going back to this? Is it just the people? Hmm. Excellent question. You have so much built-up frustration, more so than the for the fandoms than the movies themselves. Okay, and I think this is a problem. Okay, that well, you have to face. Well, um, let me put this as delicately as I can. Hold on. Okay. Go ahead. Crack the Coke. Is that <laughs> vanilla Coke? This is vanilla Coke, motherfucker. Oh, no. My favorite. Is it really? I spilled already. Careful. Let me, let me clean myself off here. You're a mess already. I am a mess. Your beautiful blue shirt. Oh, my be- this is a great shirt. I love that shirt. Actually, where did it come from? I got to check this out. Sorry, listeners, but I got to figure this out. Banana Republic. Uh, don't like that you shop at Banana Republic. Still like the shirt. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Man, we have a lot to get to. This show's going to be two and a half hours today. Let's not do that. <laughs> What is the term for Americans that enjoy Japanese culture? Weeaboos? Weeboo. Weeb? We, no, I think just weeb. I, I don't know if that's... I, I feel like we're going to get berated for this. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why it's scary, because I, I I think it's weeaboo, but I'm not, I'm not even coming at this as an uber anime fan. I just like these movies in general. Yeah, well... Okay, I, I don't have any uh, hatred or ill will or prejudice towards people that enjoy Japanese culture. In fact, okay. my best friend in the world, Nick Evangelista, <laughs> my best friend yeah. is a little too fond of Japanese culture. But he's a Japanese man. That's true. He's an honorary Japanese man. <laughs> um, so I think, yes, maybe part of it is that I'm kind of frustrated by like someone like Nick who is kind of you know, neither here nor there about the Godfather but <laughs> really enjoys uh, Death Note. Maybe that's it. Um, I will say like the few pieces of anime that I have watched are a little too pronounced and a little too cartoonish and just kind of annoying. Like Death Note really irritated me. Really? When I watched those few episodes. You got to get used to that style, though. I think there's a big cultural <laughs> difference you need to account for. Yeah. And that's the problem. And this is the, this is the other question is like, how do you judge these things? You know, because I don't think it's totally fair from our perspective sometimes, you know, when it's perfectly valid to all of Japanese culture. Yeah. But to us, we're like, what? Fuck this shit. Like, I get it. Of course. I don't want to be dismissive of anyone's cultures. Except <laughs> yes, for the do. Dutch. <laughs> Michael Caine is fond of saying. Um, yeah, yeah, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. That's fair. That's now, fair, yeah. that being said, I chose this category, Hayao Miyazaki. The reason why I chose it is because HBO Max is a new streaming service that just hit the interwebs. It confused people because they didn't know what the difference between HBO Max, Go, and Now was. Uh, and I think they've yet to clarify that I think, difference. Well, I think it's a good point for the love of God. Yeah. Have, I'm getting sick and tired of these fucking streaming services, man. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, HBO Max launched to some confusion, but I really enjoy the library of content that they have there. All the HBO stuff, all of the Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers stuff, all the Turner Classic movies, minus Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> you, you don't like Gone with the Wind? Uh, are you not aware of the Gone with the Wind controversy? No. 
<laughs> oh boy. Do we, I, we don't have time for okay, this. Okay, okay. <laughs> HBO Max took down Gone with the Wind because of its insensitive uh, slavery depictions. Yeah. Because John Ridley, the screenwriter behind 12 Years a Slave, wrote an op-ed about it in the oh LA Times. But now they're going to put it back up with like some context. I, whatever. Issue for another day. So it's got all this. Oh, all the Harry Potter stuff is on there, too. Okay. All well, the that, Harry Potter movies. That look, that's, that's good when we do our inevitable class of <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> but I think the most notable um, uh, library of content on there is the Studio Ghibli stuff. Yep. Now, for years, Hayao Miyazaki, the mastermind behind Studio Ghibli, swore off of streaming services. He said, my content will never be uh, streamable. You can maybe get it on demand. You can maybe go to Walmart and buy the DVDs. That's why you always see the Studio Ghibli stuff in Walmart and Target and stuff, because it's not available anywhere else. Uh, Somehow, HBO Max and Warner Brothers brought a dump truck of money to his home, I guess. (laughs) And now all the Hayao Miyazaki stuff is available to stream for the first time. You think Hayao Miyazaki is aware of how beloved he is? Well, here's I wanted to talk about this actually with with Hayao a little bit because uh-huh. I think the dude is kind of a complicated figure, sort of a a Marlon Brando esque figure who is the best at his craft of and anyone possibly of all time. And it's not even remotely close, but kind of resents the fact that he's the greatest at his craft. I actually saw an interview with him this morning and he was getting, he's making his new film. Um, uh, but they were asking him about retirement and how he was kind of like jumping back and forth and how like the work, you know, he didn't have the energy for it anymore. He has retired. Yeah. Let me check multiple times. Hold on. Six times. Six times. Six times, yeah. He's <laughs> retired in heavy quotes. The Brett Favre of anime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a guy who's like like struggling to like, I agree, like almost get out of it, but like can't help himself. Yeah. it's. I don't know why that is though. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't just admit that this is like what your calling is. This is what you were put on this earth to do. Yeah, I think like geniuses sometimes have a hard time with this. I mean, that's the thing about Marlon Brando. He's the best screen actor of his generation, actually of any generation, just of all time. Yeah. And hated acting. Marlon Brando was an asshole though. It's different. It's like he was he was not a, a pleasant person to be around. Evidently Miyazaki not the greatest person to be around either. Is from what true? I've heard. Yes. Really? Wow. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But because that I mean, I don't know how you explain that to your fans, because like one of the m- most beloved uh international icons yeah i would say yeah definitely yeah and it's not something i was aware of until much later in my life too (laughs) maybe until college honestly where i went there and i'm like all of you people like anime (laughs) (laughs) that is the college experience in a nutshell isn't it it's like oh you guys listen to the grateful dead too yep yep yep. yeah it's it's crazy because in high school like no nope. culture exists. No, nope. it's pretty crazy. You saw one Totoro shirt and you're like, what the hell is that? Exactly. Bye. Right. Right. And then you go to college and it's like, everyone likes the same things I do. <laughs> it goes from one Totoro shirt to a thousand Totoro shirts, which is kind of weird because like the math doesn't really check out on that. You would yeah. think that more people in high school would be into that sort of stuff. Mm-mm. And maybe they are, but it's just like they're shoved into lockers when they bring it up. So they, they are ashamed to admit it's it. like the mafia. Yeah, because I knew people who liked anime, but it wasn't as outspoken went until people were more comfortable being amongst their people i suppose sure 
So, which is great though. And I, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's, 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 it is nice to see. It's nice to see something like this get championed, especially movies of this quality Yeah, and something that it took me a while to, to open myself up to, you know, I think honestly it was Kurosawa that made me want to go and check these things out. Cause I just, is on the cusp of me, like getting introduced to Japanese cinema, I was like, this is like some of the, some of the best movies I've ever seen. I should just dip my toes into uh, Hayao Miyazaki now. Yeah. And I was greatly w- rewarded when I did, but I didn't like keep the momentum for a while. I actually had to rewatch and watch a few of these mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a total blind spot for me. You made me watch spirited away for the first time when we did class of 2001 and I absolutely adored it. I just mm-hmm. fell in love with that movie. I yeah. was just captivated by the visuals and the creatures and the imagination. We're going to talk about it later today, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess what I think of his anime is not what Hayao Miyazaki does. I think that's what it comes down to. Now, maybe I'm misguided. Maybe my like portrait of anime is is a bit muddled. But um, yeah, I think this guy is a genius. I think he's like an unbelievable, not only animator, but also like storyteller. Yeah, he's an incredibly gifted filmmaker and director. Um, and yeah, it does kind of suck. Like when you hear kind of a dick to work with um, has built this wonderful studio that just like stays relatively within its means. It's a small budget independent operation. The studios don't tip dip their, their dirty fingers into the operation. Um, and to just find out like he kind of hates what he does now, but also he can't avoid it in the same way. Like it's a calling and sometimes filmmaking can be more of a duty to a filmmaker than a, than a, passion you know well that was certainly the case for like we've been talking about john carpenter a lot at a certain point that's just all it was to him yeah and i don't know it's like there's just some filmmakers that you know i don't know like steven soderbergh's another example like keeps saying he's done but he's never fucking done never done yeah and by the way tarantino he says he's done after 10 he ain't done after 10 we all know it no way could you imagine dude (laughs) yeah that'd be nuts he's just gonna sit in his malibu residence for 30 years his ego's too watching rio bravo over and over again his ego is way too large he's he's gonna gamble be like i'm gonna make another movie motherfuckers yeah i'm gonna do it yeah definitely but Hayao Miyazaki, yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice to see that no one's kind of interfering on this because I think they understand that. I don't think they understand that no one else could do it besides him. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're not even going to bother trying to touch into this or get someone else to do it. We know that the best person to tackle these kinds of stories are him. And not to say that there aren't other anime directors out there, but usually they're fairly untouched just like him. Mm-hmm. And like for good reason. If I, if anyone else try to do these types of stories the way that he does it would be a disaster in yeah. my opinion it's also pretty amazing that commercial forces have not influenced them that much no i mean disney does own or at least at one point own the rights to the american versions of these movies mm-hmm. i guess now warner brothers bought them i'm not sure exactly what the rights are um you know they were not allowed to cut anything the part of that licensing agreement was that Disney can redub with new voice actors, but all the scenes must remain as they were, which is great. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. When you think about yeah. it, when you think about how like hands on Disney is as a studio, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty incredible. I, I just think there's so much artistic integrity to his movies. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the fact that they're all hand drawn. Yeah. Um, you know, this may sound a little film snobby, but like, I think I can tell the difference between something that's all hand-drawn and something that's computer animated. And there's just, like, so much heart and so much soul to each frame of this. Hayao still draws each frame by hand. Um, and, yeah, I just don't think you get that out of Frozen. 
you know? <laughs> no, no, I agree. Well, it's an artist's touch. Yeah. These are, these, and, you know, feel just as much like artistic pieces as they do entertainment, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, the same with, we're, I mean, there's a broad, like, like, theme and i guess in terms of feeling with all these movies just with that style but i think uh the the sort of expressionism with them is far stronger than you would get it's something like frozen yes it just feels like this was made with someone with a heart yeah yeah for sure um and i hope he keeps making them and i can't wait to talk about them uh so we'll get to that in a second first we have some business to get to (laughs) some movies were released this week yeah um i watched two of them you watched just one of them, correct? You watched The King of Staten Island? I did indeed watch The King of Staten Island. <laughs> okay. I won't go too far into this. Uh, Judd Apatow directs Pete Davidson stars. Uh, okay, Pete Davidson. Talk to me. Hmm. I don't like the guy. I feel really bad for the guy. Why? <laughs> Because he clearly has some demons. Who gives a shit? Clearly has some demons. <laughs> How many artistic people in the industry have demons? All of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> but, okay, this used to happen a lot more than it does now. Um, but, like, he was clearly picked out of the rough at a very young age. I think he was, like, 20 or 21 when he got the SNL job, which is very young, especially yeah. these days. Um has been in and had a rehab, clearly has some daddy issues. The movie explores the daddy issues. And I just think, like, is stuck in Lorne Michaels' world um, doing stupid SNL sketches and should just be doing stand-up. And I think just, like, the instant fame right away and all the Ariana Grande stuff, all the big dick energy stories, I, I just think, like, he got off on the wrong foot. And if he could redo the start of his career, he would do it much differently. I look at him and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay. that's, <laughs> I just that's, think he should be doing stand up. I don't think he should be an actor in in like a in a dramedy, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have I would have been happy if he wasn't in the Jesus roles, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those figures that I look at him. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, yeah, no, right. No, no, no. Not even your comedy is working for me just because I hate your presence. Yeah. And I, I don't like talking about that about anybody. It's it's a shitty thing to say, but like, and I don't know, there, there are actors out there. It's like, I see them and I'm like, no, go away. And he's always been that kind of person to me. I just, I don't like his voice. I don't like his demeanor, the way he carries himself. I don't like his, I don't like his sense of humor, honestly. Mm-hmm. He just, I don't know. I, I <laughs> he feels like someone that is, was, I don't know, scooped off of the street in like, <laughs> oh God in like downtown Queens and uh, basically, yeah, um, has not really gotten away from that. It's not been refined by any means. No. Again, though, like, (laughs) I don't know if that's a, this shit takes time man. the crucible of comedy will often create great, like art over many decades. Sure. Very rarely does someone come out, you know, in the first two or three years, like Richard Pryor and change comedy. You know, like a lot of these guys, Louis C.K., even Bill Burr, who's in the movie with him, like they didn't become famous until their 40s. Okay, you know, so like going right on SNL, he he wasn't even doing sketch comedy. He was a stand up and just Lorne Michaels plucking him out of the crowd and putting him on SNL at the age of 20. 
what were you expecting? I don't know. Especially that the guy's got demons going into it. Yeah. What does his dad die in 9-11? His dad died in 9-11. That's what the movie is about. Um, it's loosely based on his life story. Uh, he doesn't play Pete Davidson. He plays a, a character named Scott. Um, and his father didn't die in 9-11 in the movie, but he died as a firefighter trying to save someone. Um, and it's about him growing up and living at home at the age of 24 and, uh, you know, on a on a one-way street to hell, essentially. How is the movie? <sighs> it's okay. a Judd Apatow movie. Okay. Well, let's move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> Some bits work. Most of them don't. It's got dramatic flair. Uh, it's got a lot of heart. It's kind of corny. It's got good pop music. Uh, oh, here's some news for you. This might shock you. Marissa Tomei, great actress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I just watched the other night was what? Uh, what Women Want. Oh, wow. Which I've seen many times. But uh, Sure. Uh, fucking love Marissa Tomei. Amazing. I, I, have, I, I will always have a crush on Marissa Tomei. Still incredibly hot, by oh, the way. Oh, my God. She's great in Crazy Stupid Love. Amazing in Crazy Stupid Love. Like, just what the, a movie. Just the best. What a film. <laughs> my, uh, my unfair new favorite Aunt May, I think. <laughs> no doubt. No question. <laughs> it's fucking Marissa Tomei. Oh, my God. I love her so much. The best. Uh, great in this movie. Okay. Uh, n- some more news for you. Ready? What? Steve Buscemi. Great actor. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. We'll get to Steve Buscemi on another podcast. Okay. Uh, great in this movie. Really? Small role, but of course, great in this movie. I had no idea he was good. Yeah. Uh, and you want to know something else? What? I, I'm not kidding you. Bill Burr steals this thing. Oh, I heard he was awesome. Bill in Burr movie. is fucking awesome in this really? movie. Okay, good, good. Dude, if Bill Burr got an Oscar nomination, I'd be okay with it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a diehard Bill Burr fan. No, I heard he was like awesome in the movie. Incredible in the movie. All right. Best part of the movie. He steals every scene from both Marissa Tomei and Steve Buscemi. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? That's cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I'm happy for him. Yeah. All freckles. All Billy Blue Balls. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> okay. You can skip it. Don't pay $20 for it. I literally saw him like, who gives a shit? <laughs> who cares about this thing? It was the cinematographer from There Will Be Blood, though, that shot it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was like... There was a lot of there was a there was a, a pretty uh, prestigious pedigree to this movie. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but we also watched another one. You and I. Yeah, I did. Called the Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. Spike Lee directs. Yeah. Delroy Lindo stars. Uh, talk to me. Um. Yeah. This movie pops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie's really fucking cool. Yeah. It's not at all what I expected. Honestly. Me neither. Um. It's like Apocalypse Now meets The Goonies. Yep. Um. Oh wow. Okay. It's an interesting story, in, in, in that respect, it's a cool little personal odyssey. I liked it a lot. Mm. I liked it a lot. Um. It is a very good movie that is just shy of being a great film, in my opinion. Okay. Falls short in a couple categories i think there are many scenes that are that sort of meander um where it's like okay you could have you know cut this out it's sort of overstated it's welcome there's like when they're they're arguing with del delroy lindo for the hundred thousandth time Mm. which is fine um there is a trump comment that's one of the stupidest things i think i've ever heard in my life (laughs) yeah well Okay, <laughs> and I'm just like the the politics are not as heavy handed as Black Clansman. No, no, I agree with that. So yeah. you know, I, I was judging it on that bar, and I just knew that this was going to be a political movie going into it, and I accepted it for what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, which is fine. Um, it it didn't really bother me. I just like rolled my eyes quite heavily when I when I heard. It. I was like, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> that's a little absurd, but okay. Um, 
then um, I would say uh, the action sequences are lacking punch. Oh, you thought so? Yeah. Um, they're not weighty, and when they're happening, it's the, 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 they feel so weak that I don't really feel for many of the characters. That's like the flashback sequences. Okay. Um, so I, I, I actually did not think that those were particularly well done. Um, and there's a couple moments, again, of like quote-unquote chaos, like where they're pulling – uh, Del Rolindo's kid off the mine, which the whole moment was fine, but the moment where they actually pull him off, I was like, uh oh. Okay, I'm not kidding you. That is like my favorite scene I've seen in a movie in years. Whoa. I, I swear to God, dude. That it. that scene blew me away. No <laughs> pun intended. I like I like the scene. I just don't like the moment where he finally like gets off of the mine. It's like, oh, that was weak. You thought? Yeah, it's pretty weak. Oh man, I so disagree with you. I honestly <laughs> th- like Spike no, Lee. <laughs> Spike Lee is not an action filmmaker and is not known. I can't really think of a of a like a Spike Lee set piece. Can you think of any? I, mean, I guess the do the right thing riot, yeah, I guess. I was going to say the riot, but. There, so I, I don't really think of him as that. I, I thought like he went to a level filmmaking wise that I have not seen out of him ever. Um, honestly, that minefield scene was in, uh, to me like <laughs> the, the, so the, tense, <laughs> incredibly like moving like that line where he talks about, you know, going to Morehouse, the yeah. uh, historically black college and how you have to that that man could fly. So, and, you know, you're going to fly as fast as you can off of this and uh, all of them collaborating like they remember pulling the guy off the minefield 40 years ago. And I, I just loved that scene from front to back. I thought that was one of the tensest movie moments of the last couple of years. No, everything about it is good. It's a really great scene. It's just the very I'm talking about the very, very moment. I know what you mean. They pull them off. I don't think it worked at all. OK, it's just like, oh, that that was like a fart but whatever okay and same goes with uh isaiah what's it what's the actress name? isaiah whitlock jr isaiah whitlock jr is stepping on the landmine she no no no, no he or, the, or the grenade falling on the grenade yeah yeah, yeah. And i was like oh don't spoil the movie i was like well that was weak she she you got another she in there yeah, he did loved it you know he asked spike can i just say he's like <laughs> of course you can of course you can it's your catchphrase dude <laughs> yeah but his ultimate uh <laughs> Uh, his fate um, and what he does—it's—that's also kind of weird. I didn't mind it either, mm. but okay, teach his own. Didn't work. Uh, other than that, though, yeah, so much a step up from uh, Black Klansman in just terms of filmmaking and just like s- sort of laid back storytelling, mm. but so character driven. And one of the best performances that I think we're going to get this year from Delroy Lindo. <laughs> My God, the scene where he finally leaves them and he's whacking shit down in the jungle. Oh, my God. And then he talks to the camera. The best! That's the best use of that, like, fourth wall breaking that um, uh, Spike Lee's ever done. Yeah. And part of that is because you're not quite sure if he's talking to the audience right. or if he's just going crazy yeah. and just talking in the jungle. Yeah. And I think it's a blending of the two that is brilliant and just illustrates the characters in a much in a much more, like, visceral fashion than even what we had before. Yeah. It's just... his. Er, he's so good at the he's movie. unbelievable. He's so in this good movie. at the fucking movie, and he's a guy that I think we talked about when we talked about Clockers. He's the best part of Clockers. He's one of those character actors that has worked with Spike a lot. He was in Malcolm X yep. as well. Um, that like real movie guys know as one of the dudes, mm. but has never really been recognized by a mainstream audience, and certainly not the Academy. Um, I think like yeah, he should be the front runner for best actor as of today. I mean, obviously, it's still very early on in the season. But he should certainly get a nomination. And yeah, it, it's an unbelievable performance. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the PTSD stuff. Uh, I think the fact that he's a Trump supporter is, is 
actually quite interesting. Me too. Um, I think he does a lot of interesting stuff just in terms of, uh, you know, framing him as the forgotten man, framing the sort of black Vietnam veteran yeah. as, um, you know, the guy who fought a white man's war and was given nothing in return for it. And Trump at the time, at least in 2016, sort of represented the forgotten man. And like, you know, it's not working for you. As I think Trump said during a rally, black people, what do you have to lose? Right. Delroy Lindo is one of those black people that felt like, what do I have to lose? Um, and so I, I, I thought all this stuff with the MAGA hat, although a bit heavy handed, was really interesting just as a symbol, how he moved it around the frame, uh, mm-hmm. especially in that final sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of think I adore this movie, Adam. I think I kind of love it. I think I love it a lot. And the more I, I've gotten distance from it, the more I appreciate it. Yeah. This movie is like, I don't know. It's it's sort of etched in my brain. <laughs> it, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. And I did not expect that because I think like the response has been good, but kind of muted. Yeah, because I didn't love it, but I yeah. thought, but I thought it was quite good. And I think most critics feel the same way you yeah, do about yeah. it. It's not like like again. There's just a lot of technical things that bugged me, and like like I said, the, when the movie takes its time to just you know, like like focus on them trying to dig up gold for like an ungodly amount of time, it's like okay, like move along. Uh. But that's just like nitpicky. It's a it's like I can kind of step past that. Like I was very like generous with my uh, letterbox review because I was like, it's not just a solid good movie. It's a step above that. I ended up giving it like four stars. I was uh-huh. like, that's you know you know pretty pretty appropriate for something i think like i got this. to four and a half yeah it's really good it's yeah. really really good and like i said it's the best movie i've seen from spike in quite a long time oh certainly yeah even it's it's i wouldn't call it like my favorite but it's probably a better movie than inside man still yeah. so you know again it's just it's it's just nice to see him like like come alive like this yeah in the way that he does and i like because uh, you're right that the movie's not crazy political. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, but it also isn't. It takes, but what it's more interested in is just the black experience from these particular men and what the war meant to them and how each of them sort of represent a different part of that demographic. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was all pretty wonderful. It really works. This was a script that was reworked from a, a spec yeah. script that Oliver Stone was supposed to direct. Yeah. I think 2011, this thing was completed and it was going to be an Oliver Stone project. I have to admit, I would have been interested in seeing an Oliver Stone Vietnam movie again. It, it's a great story. But still. It's yeah. a great story. So I think if Oliver Stone makes it, of course, I'd be interested yeah. as well. But Spike got his hands on it, reworked it as a, a story about black soldiers as opposed to white ones. And it gives it this like real emotional resonance and like feeling of betrayal. And, yeah. Like, the wounds never quite healed and and uh i i just haven't seen a a movie about black veterans ever no i mean there's red tails i i guess yeah but you know i didn't know the stat that 60 percent of those that served in the vietnam war were black even see, though it was only like 18 percent of the population see i did know this stat and i was always like very surprised in, in movies in general that you don't see as much of that side yeah it's always like kind of there in the background like even in oliver oliver stone's films you kind of notice it mm-hmm. but you're always like what do they feel about this yes you know and it's nice to see a movie that actually you know uh dealt with that head on but also like integrated the characters into uh the war in a way that i thought was pretty interesting and the flashback sequences they're all still old did they work did that work for you yeah i'm so happy they did that yeah that yeah. is a hundred percent the correct decision. Yeah, to frame the flashbacks as like a broken memory. Yeah, exactly. Not as it actually happened. So Chadwick Boseman remains like this young, angelic, 
like mentor frozen in time and those old guys are still walking around with yeah. machine guns. I think Spike in an interview said like, look, Netflix was never going to give us the budget that they gave to Marty. So we didn't even try the de-aging thing. So this was sort of like a like a, a logistical workaround. I think there was one shot with de-aging and it's a photograph. Yes. So and that was perfect. Yeah. That, that was a, the perfect way to do it. I, I immediately bought what was going on, and I've seen some complaints about it, but I 100% agree with you. Well, you're not supposed to take it literally. Yeah. I don't know why. It reminded me of the laugh in Predator at the very end, where it's like, it, uh-huh. to me, you're not supposed to take that totally literally. It's, oh, I see. It's more of like, like, like a thematic thing for the characters in that moment. Yeah. And it's the same way here, where it's like, if you look at that and say, why are they all, all so old? That's fucking stupid. Fuck this. It's like, no, no, it's it's <laughs> it's the theme of their relationship with this character and what this memory means to them and how they're they're stuck there. And yeah. even even today, it's it's it hasn't really shaped that much and, and evolved that much. They're still those same people in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I just I thought it was a really, really smart decision. And like you said, Chad, Chad, Chadwick Boseman being used as like this mythological figure to them. It just made that decision make all the more sense to me. Yeah. So uh, Newton Thomas Siegel kills the cinematography. Really here. good. Yeah. Looks great. It's so funny. Like Apocalypse Now not only changed movies, but also like set the visual template for Vietnam. Yeah. Like I bet you if you flew to Vietnam now, it wouldn't look like it does in the movies. I don't know. <laughs> but that's sort of become Vietnam. It's like that winding river that, yeah. you know, that that descent into hell, the endless trees, all that jungle like this is just like copying apocalypse. Now there are specific references to apocalypse now in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of funny how like it's become like its own genre, the Vietnam movie. Well, that's the the fact that the, the Kong movie, I don't think it's, apocalypse now but like visually it's very similar to that in a lot of ways so uh the fact that a movie like that would rip on that so much right you know in a setting that's so similar is just kind of funny to me also has a lot of treasure of the sierra madre in it they actually Uh make the stinking yeah they do reference they do they do apparently that's spike lee's favorite movie interesting yeah yeah i like that stuff um and yeah I, i i really adore it man i really really like it this is i think in my spike lee top three already um, no, but I, I'm again, I'm really high on it. I'm high. I'm more high on it than most people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's OK, though. Like, it's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, just barely <laughs> for, for me, for my money. Really, really, really good. though. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Terrence Blanchard, of course. Great work. Yeah. No. And I actually like his work probably in this more than most of the films he's done before. Not to say that I've ever disliked it. But again, the incorporation of music in this, I thought, was much, uh, much better. I do have to admit, though, I wasn't as fond of the Spike Lee dolly shot. I agree. It was just like eh, a little weak. It's it felt the same as like Black Klansman. It's like all right, you got to do it. And it's like in the exact same place. Tacked on. Yeah, yeah. Agree. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's a nitpick, certainly. I I'm loved not, it. I'm not hanging on it too much. That's I, the thing. I loved it. Yes. Uh, Del Rolando. Amazing. The movie is like give just give me more of him. By the way, if you want white Defy Bloods, just check out Triple Frontier. Check it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> White the five bloods. Yes, if you want the five bloods, <laughs> it's called Triple Frontier. Okay, uh, Netflix really has the market I, cornered on like bag of money in the jungle movies. Except that one's put on a donkey, isn't it? Yes, and pushed off a cliff. What the fuck? The best. I don't get it. This one is better than Triple Frontier. Okay, I'll put it that way. <laughs> still though, amazing. Okay, uh, let's let's do this. Hiyo, Hiyo. Uh, your five nominees for induction into the movie hall of fame. They are my neighbor Totoro, 
Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, and The Wind Rises. Um, apparently, he doesn't have as many movies as I thought he did. No. no. Hayo. Yeah, we've covered a, a, a good chunk of them. Yeah. Right here. Uh, here's some honorable mentions for you. And this is just the entirety of his filmography. Castle of uh, Cagalostro. I think that was right. his first movie, 1979. Uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yep. Castle in the Sky. Kiki's Delivery Service, which I think like just missed the cut. Yeah. That's oh. probably the sixth a lot on of the pe- list. A lot of people love that one. Yeah. Uh, Porco Rosso, On Your Mark, and 2008's Ponyo, yep. which did very well in the United States. Uh, that's another one. Almost was nominated. Um, let's do this. Okay. My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. 1988. And by the way, from here on out, I'm going to be reading the American cast. Yeah. Not the Japanese cast. Not because I acknowledge the American version as superior to the Japanese version. I just watched all the American dubs because I'm a simpleton. You racist. Yeah. And also like we know who these actors are. So this yeah. would be a little more interesting. <laughs> It'll be more clear for the, for the listeners, for the love of God. It just, yeah. think of our audience. Well, while we're on the subject, what do you feel about subs versus dubs? I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, it's much easier to get away with in, uh, animated films. Yeah. In my opinion, there's less of that disconnect. I mean, far less of that disconnect. And usually the voice acting is much better. Whereas I don't know what it is about English dubs of like Godzilla films, but it's so bad. Yeah. And it actually makes it hard to watch. Yeah. It's just like, I, I can't appreciate this line the way I'm clearly supposed to. So I, I, I can't do it. Uh, I will always prefer uh, subtitles in a live action film. Always, always, always. Um, but yes, yeah, so if we're talking about um, animated films like this, if it's like this or if it's, I don't know, P- Cowboy Bebop, I'm fine with that. That's good shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I've been told, though, or at least I've read online, that you miss a lot of the context if you don't have the subtitles on. Just because like, there are certain words that don't exactly translate from Japanese to English, mm-hmm. and the subtitles do a better job of describing that. I, I doubt that the movie is fundamentally broken. Yeah, no. <laughs> so. I do think, though, there is an argument that you know, Miyazaki directed the Japanese voiceover, but did not direct the English voiceover. And because the voice acting is such a big part of animation, you're kind of missing at least 30% of his contribution to the movie, right? I, eh, I don't know about that. Like in a lot of cases, Pete doctor and John Lasseter oversaw the the voice acting. So like you're getting a Hayao Miyazaki animation, but uh, like Pixar (laughs) voice acting performance not a bad combination i guess not i i don't i really don't mind it if they're gonna do it like i said because the 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 results are usually pretty good and i mean not to say that i would be opposed to the the japanese uh voices and with the subtitles i'd actually love to see those versions of those movies honestly Mm -hmm. but if you know as long if you're gonna do it just be good that's all i care about at the end of the day yeah um i thought for the most part they were good there were a few of these that i had some complaints about um sort of but yeah we'll get to it when we get to it i guess uh, all right, My Neighbor Totoro, 1988, stars Dakota Fanning, Elle Fanning, and Timothy Daly. When two girls move to the country to be near their ailing mother, they have adventures with the wondrous forest spirits who live nearby. Yeah. Um, the Fannings are in the, are in the dub version. Yes. Not a huge fan of the Fannings in this particular movie. I don't mind them at all. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro is the... 
uh, sort of iconic Studio Ghibli movie, I guess. I would actually say it's the most iconic. Yeah. I think it just eclipses Spirited Away. A lot of it is just because <laughs> people I don't think... I, I think people buy Totoro shirts even if they've never seen this movie. Yeah. If I'm being honest. And it's also their mascot. Yeah. It's Studio it, Ghibli's mascot. It's so. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. For Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen this movie until just this week, uh, although I was very familiar with that image. Yeah. Um, I know who Totoro is. I wasn't exactly sure like what Totoro did. And I'm not sure this movie clarified it. He's sort of just like a Winnie the Pooh character who just like lays around and just takes naps all day. I mean, the Totoro character is more for I mean, it's not really about him at all. Yeah. And that's the point. I mean, there's sort of ambiguity as to whether or not Totoro is even real. Yeah. Is the thing. He's kind of like an E.T. type creature. Yeah. yeah. So it could be an imagination of Dakota Fanning's character and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is how I always kind of interpreted it. He doesn't show up until a half hour in. I know. I know, which yeah. is what I was surprised by. This was actually the first uh, Studio Ghibli film that I've ever, I'd ever seen okay. when I saw it. Yeah. I saw this one in college. And I, re- I still to this day, it's actually one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, you said, though, that it reminded you of Spirited Away. And I'm not yeah. sure I agree with that at all. Well, the, the plot beats did. I mean, the little soot monsters were reused in Spirited Away. Um, the sort of like... Uh, the childhood wonder, the sort of coming of age elements, although Spirited Away is a lot more hardcore. Yeah, I was going to say they're so different that I don't even bother comparing them, in my opinion. Uh-huh. I mean, the visual style is only is similar, but that's because it's anime, <laughs> so I don't really dock yeah. it for that. I mean, I could probably make the same argument about, I mean, honestly, there are instances where I could probably make the same argument about, like, fucking Dragon Ball Z, depending on the episode. <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I, there's something about like, like the confinement of Spirited Away and that sense of responsibility that oversees everything. And it's much more taut because of that. Yes. And more anxiety driven. It's, it's more of a thriller. Yeah. If you want to even call it that. It's not like it, the, the feeling of that movie is, is, like I said, much more anxiety driven. And you always feel like the, the character could get scrutinized or killed at any moment if she does something wrong. Sure. So she sort of has that responsibility to do good and work her ass off every time to make her life worthwhile and save her parents and stuff like that. And this is a little more optimistic, in my opinion. Well, it's more meandering, right? Like it. it- yeah, it, it doesn't, you're not entirely sure where it's going. Yeah. You know, it's more about just like the spirit of a child learning to, you know, just kind of hit the cusp of adolescence. Whereas like you're kind of thrown into it and spirited away. And I think it's a completely different vibe for that reason. Whereas like the openness of my neighbor Totoro and that childlike wonderment of discovery is so much more present here. Yeah. And it's just, it's a much, it's a much more lighthearted film in that way. And it doesn't necessarily feel like the plot is, is, is pushing you to feel like the drama. It just sort of happens. Yeah. You know, and I really like that, but also I'm just kind of a sucker for movies that stop, just take the time to stop everything they're doing and let the characters appreciate life. Mm -hmm. And I think this one does that a little bit more than spirited away. Not to say that I think it's a better movie, but uh, I certainly think, like you said, this one is, you know, the plot is less important. It's kind of like the bus scene in Spirited Away or the train scene in Spirited Away, but just like extended throughout the entire movie. Like whatever that sensibility is where where he, she's just sitting there with no face mm. and they're just thinking about life. Which I, I love that stuff. It's an unbelievable scene in Spirited Away. Yeah. And th- this movie is basically all of that. There are no heroes, no villains. 
not any major plot or conflict. No. Um, I mean, again, Totoro is sort of an ambivalent character. Yeah, well, it's he is an ambivalent. Well, are you sure? I mean, is he ambivalent? I mean, he, he. I guess he helps them a little. I guess he helps the girls every once in a while. He was, you know, he's like a forest spirit. He's he's kind of ambivalent, but at the end of the day, he's, he always felt like a guardian to me. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie is just about being thrown into an, uh, a new world. Sure. And in, when Spirited Away is about working your way through it, this one is just about sort of you know, accepting it and adjusting to it. Right. They, they both have like that Alice in Wonderland yeah. sensibility where like they enter the looking glass and they're in this new world. Mm-hmm. Like in spirited away, they go to this amusement park in Totoro. She goes behind the bushes of her backyard essentially. Yeah. Um, so like they both have that same fantastical framework. Um, yeah. I mean, both involve little girls that are moving. I mean, you know, like <laughs> one well, little girl. <laughs> well, Spirited Away has one and yeah. the, uh, yeah. And, and Totoro has two, but that's important though, because Totoro is all about in essence, the relationship between the sisters. Here. Yeah. You know, more or less. I mean, the movie doesn't have any momentum without that. So. Yeah. And it's about a mom that's sick and how you deal with it. And that sense of wonder when you move into a new house. Yeah. Um, do you remember moving into your first childhood home? Like yeah. the first new move? <laughs> what was that experience like? Uh, I just remember like what it looked like. I remember just, you know, it's just weird. It's not like comfortable okay. yet, you know, and you don't, you don't, it's a little scary Yeah, as well. And I think it's, uh, I think your mind starts running wild where it's like, what is going to happen with this house? Where am I going to stay? What can I possibly do? And it, do I even want to live in Connecticut? That kind of thing. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a fair anxiety. I know that now. (laughs) I know it was a bad idea now, but still. I remember being very excited. Yeah. And although I remember being very upset that we were moving, I remember this new house and adventure being kind of cool. It wasn't like bad all around though. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that. Like, I definitely remember that moment where like I moved into the home and I started running through every room. And that that moment is in my neighbor Totoro, where they just enter the house and it's like, can we find the staircase? Where's the attic? Oh, there's a bathroom behind here. It's like, I didn't even know this closet existed. Yep. You know, and the house seems so big to you. Um, And so, like, this movie conjured up a lot of nostalgia for that reason. Cool. Uh, Yeah, all this stuff with the dying mom I thought was, she's not dying, she's just a sick mom. Yeah. Is quite touching. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the cat bus. Yeah, the fucking cat bus. Cat bus is dope. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I kept getting Spirited Away vibes. And so I was watching this movie under Spirited Away's shadow. And I guess that's not a fair way to watch it. Yeah, because I watched Spirited Away after this and they just felt totally different to me personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's also just visually like the setting is, is so radically different that it elicits a completely different response. And like I said, the darker tone in Spirited Away is is far more prevalent than whatever we're getting here. So yeah, yeah, I, it's it's sort of a matter of taste, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. I actually have almost an equal amount of love for both of those movies. Yeah, yeah. I listen. I liked it a lot. I love the way that Miyazaki plays with silence. Oh yeah, and we're gonna go through a couple of these movies. Some of them are louder than others, um, but this one, just like man, the dude just likes open space. Yeah, the dude is just very comfortable with open space. And you watch <laughs> something like, I don't know, the Lego movie, you know, or, or you you watch some of these other animated films that, you know, they they feel the need to fill the screen at all times, just stimulation, stimulation, true, stimulation. True. 
to just watch Miyazaki just put a character in front of a giant blue sky yeah. and have the blue sky take up 80% of the frame is like that takes confidence. Yeah. You know, to make a children's movie with not much music telling the, the characters what to think and what to feel. It's so funny, too, because the, so many of his films incorporate that, but his music is also fucking great. Yeah. In almost every single one of his movies. Well, it's sparing, right? It's used appropriately. Depends. I know I'm not necessarily sure if it's sparing. It's just more traditionally used, in in my opinion. Uh-huh. Something we're not totally used to nowadays. But um, in my neighbor Totoro, though, it's 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 far more sparing. I would say, especially like in the scene where they're at the bus stop with the light post, and Totoro's just kind of there. Like right. it's very very sparing. You know, right then the know? raindrops fall on his umbrella. Yeah, there's sort of an awkwardness and silliness to the moment, which I thought was really adorable. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so this film apparently is partially autobiographical. Uh, when Hayao Miyazaki and his brothers were children, his mother suffered from spinal tuberculosis for nine years and spent much of her time hospitalized. So you can feel a lot of that heart. Uh, in April 1993, this might surprise you, Troma Films uh, distributed this theatrically in the United States. Troma Pictures, Troma Films, one of the reasons why we have Hayao Miyazaki here in, in America. It makes me very uncomfortable. Way to go, Lloyd Kaufman. That that's that's oh my god. <laughs> that's like a convicted pedophile adopting a child and then the adopted child runs away and does better things. Don't speak about Lloyd Kaufman that way. Am I wrong? Don't speak about Lloyd Kaufman like he's Crystalia, okay? Am I wrong? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, I don't like that fact, Nico. I don't like it at all. <laughs> no, do you think I like it? <laughs> think I'm comfortable with it? <laughs> uh, that's my neighbor, Totoro. Anything else? I love it. Me too. Princess Mononoke. Mm. 1997. Starring Billy Crudup, Billy Bob Thornton, Minnie Driver, Claire Danes, Jada Pinkett Smith, and your boy Keith David. My boy Keith David. On a journey to find the cure for Tata Tatarigami. Tatarigami's curse? I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher all these names. <laughs> Ashitaka finds himself in the middle of a war between the forest gods and Tatara, a mining colony. In his quest, he also meets San, the Mononoke Hime. How'd I do? Pretty well. Thanks. One of the things I didn't realize about Miyazaki is that like his movies make bank. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I wrote down like where his movies rank at the Japanese box office all time. This one is number seven <laughs> all time. Okay. That's where like Avengers Infinity War is on our box office all time. That's pretty cool. Number seven. Princess Mononoke. And by the way, we're not done. More will show up on that list and higher spots later on. I know. Uh, yeah, this movie is uh, pretty rough, man. It's pretty hardcore. Like, <laughs> there are some beheadings. Many Dis- beheadings. Dismemberments. Dismemberments. Many uh, explosions that lead to body parts flying. Third degree burns. Yep. Nasty worm monster things ejecting from your skin. Oh, Yeah. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, I thought you might. I fucking <laughs> love this movie. I, oh, the first time I've seen it 
this thing was amazing. I knew you would love my this. My God, this is so my thing. And it's the thing is like, I'm not even one for like environmental stories. They just generally don't work for me. But this movie is awesome in every way. And it's not just like an awesome action movie, but it's just this incredible sweeping epic that feels like Legend of Zelda the movie. I felt the same way. It's Isn't so that, funny. Yeah, yeah, I just love that. Yeah. And it's just like these wonderful voice actors with great arcs and the, the amount of heart and character and everybody and what they're forced to contend with and how like the handling of villains is interesting and that they're kind of villains, but they're kind of not at the same time. Right. And it's just, I just really love the honesty and heart to everything and how like even the main character, like it's almost like Yojimbo, but the difference is that in Yojimbo, he's taking advantage of both sides, but in here he's not playing off of both sides because he wants to take advantage of them. He's playing off of them because he wants to help them both. Yes. And I just love that. This is just so earnest. And apart from all that, it's just like this incredible story that, again, ends in so many ways that I didn't expect. And I was just like, I just couldn't get enough of it. I, mm. I yeah, it honestly could be my favorite film on the list. Wow. I love this movie, man. I didn't, I didn't feel that way about it, but That's a- I, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I, I'm not a huge sucker for environmental stuff yeah. either. Although we'll be talking about the environment, I think frequently over the next two podcasts, frankly, we're not doing two podcasts. What are you talking about? Oh, right. Yeah. We got to maintain the illusion. Um, yeah. But this is sort of like an anti-war movie in the purest sense, where it's yes. like not against one aggressor or the other aggressor. It's just against the conflict itself, mm-hmm. um, which you just don't see all that often. Yeah. Um, very rarely do you see an anti-war movie where one side is portrayed more sympathetic, not portrayed more sympathetically than the other. Uh, this one has three sides, as a matter of yeah. fact, and they all have different wants and needs. And he acknowledges all those wants and needs as legitimate while also condemning their actions and condemning the violence against both the environment and each other. Um, It really isn't like an incredible allegory. Yeah. Um, It it really does show off Miyazaki's gifts as like a writer and as a storyteller. Because it's complicated as hell. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen a story done in quite this way. I mean, there are many stories where there are, you know, equal sides, like, like fighting against each other. I mean, hell, Ron is very similar Uh in a lot of ways. But like, it's not nearly as bleak, not at all nearly as bleak, I'm not even close. Um, <laughs> this is just, again, just so sincere about it. I mean, like I said, when, you, when you're introduced to the characters, I mean, you start off with the boar that's been possessed by the demons. Or- yes. And it's terrifying right yeah. away, by the way. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? This thing is oozing blood. <laughs> and is yeah, the, the demon boar. It's got these like worms flailing out of it. Like, what is this shit? And you expect like the boars to be the bad guys, but they're not the bad guys. Yep, not really. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Minnie Driver's character. You're like, oh, I've seen this is this is that that guy in in Tarzan with the shotgun. That's a dickhead. <laughs> and every, every 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 single movie, right? It's the same. Minnie Driver was also in Tarzan. Wow, look at that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she played Jane. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Minnie Driver really had a moment there in the <laughs> late nineties. I love Minnie. Driver. Really had a moment. What happened? I'm strangely attracted to Minnie Driver. Are you? Yeah. Okay. I think she has a very unique look that only I love as much as I do. Yeah, I don't love it. I think that's kind of one of the flaws of Goodwill Hunting, really? but we'll talk about it Ooh, another different, day. Different, yeah. different, different. Okay. But yeah, uh, but then they explore her and it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I understand it completely. And the entire time that you're, you're sort of judging what side means more or what side has more convictions or which is more flawed and so on and so forth. And you never really land, at least I never fully landed on one because mm-hmm. every time it th- I thought the movie was 
waiting on one side, it would do something to contradict that. And I'm like, oh, that was actually quite brilliant. And at the end of it all, I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm 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 with Billy Crudup. Yeah. Right. Which is where you should be. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, the the movie, I will say it was not the most gorgeously animated of all yeah. of these. Um it has like that weird, I think they called it plastic animation cells. Yeah. That effect that you saw in like a lot of Warner Brothers cartoons in the nineties. Mm. Like I think about all those old like Batman yeah, uh, cartoons, yeah, yeah. all that stuff on Cartoon Network had like this weird sort of blurry motion blur type look to it. And it brought me back to when I was a kid because it looked like a lot of the cartoons I watched as a kid. But the frames were not as like delicately drawn. They weren't as, like the colors didn't contrast enough. Um, and so I, I sort of thought the animation was a little generic. <laughs> um, that being said, like the action is still pretty compelling. And yeah. as you said, the story is really complex and really moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I will admit I had a hard time following sometimes like which side I was supposed to be rooting for yeah. and who was on what side and who wanted what. Um, but, you know, I just sort of had a trust for Miyazaki as the movie went along, I yeah. think. And uh, I agree with you. I just think it's an incredibly compelling, like, war movie and uh, and uh, environmental allegory, you yeah. know? And one that I was fine with at the end of it all, because I could just appreciate the story on the whole. Yeah. I, I did like the animation, by the way. Okay. I thought it was very good. It just seemed like I was like, oh, this is an older kind of animation. It's not right. It's not as refined. But my as neighbor Totoro be. is also an older animation, and it didn't I, look like that. I recalled it being similar. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but... I think the technology was a little different. I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm not an animation... But I mean, style. I think... Well, I think of like like the scene with the, the, the forest spirit and when it gets its head blown off and how just incredible that whole sequence is. Yeah. Or... or, or no, the, des- the designs itself, like the actual images were cool. I just thought like the style of animation was... I, I don't know. It, it, it well, didn't pop as much as some of his other movies. Well, I know what you're talking about. It's it's slightly muted. It's it's usually when characters are in like, like I, I saw it in, in times when like people were getting decapitated from a distance. Yes, that's when it's the most obvious. But it doesn't really bother me there because, like I said, it's it's more uh, impressionistic, uh-huh. which I don't mind at all. If you're gonna, and I mean, it's a, it's a fucking anime. Yeah. So it's all impressionistic at at, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So I really love that, and I mean. Yeah, man, it's 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 awesome. <laughs> I, like I said, the imagery is incredible. I the, the 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 movement of the characters I really love. That's why I say I love the animation. So uh, yeah, and it just I just I do actually think it looks kind of gorgeous. Okay, there are many sequences, like especially of Iron Town from a distance, that are painted. And there's actually like one of the things all these movies do is every once in a while the an image or the movement of something kind of goes in and out of the uncanny valley. Yes. And you're like, whoa, 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 that was particularly real. Right. And it's a weird, like, like, like high of a moment. That happens in Spirited Away when they're driving up the driveway and she looks at the statue on the side Mm. of the road and they sort of motion blur it. They use some CGI there. Yeah. That's another moment where it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not watching a cartoon. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, for me, at least there's a lot of that in in here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I dug it. I think it, uh, it, Definitely shows Miyazaki's range. Um, shows that he's capable of not just no. telling stories about like fuzzy creatures. Well, and, and that's the thing, though. You're right because it's it's so disgusting at times. But you know, thinking about the muted tone to it, both with like how it, it doesn't like pop the same way that like I don't know the wind rises does. Mm-hmm. But you know that makes sense given like the this what the story is and the fact that it is a war movie and it takes itself a little more seriously than those other ones. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Every, almost everything about this movie worked. 
for me. <laughs> so, except for, I'm not sure about the English dub for Billy Bob Thornton. That was a little strange. Well, it's so clearly Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. That's one of the problems. I don't know how someone else would think about it, but I'm just like, uh, not the most obvious. We, oh, we'll talk we'll, about one. We'll get to the We're one. thinking about oh, the yeah. same one. <laughs> <laughs> it, don't you worry. It gets more obvious, people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and how uh, we were happy. Trust me. <laughs> Elated. <laughs> Ela- I think I did a standing ovation in my bedroom when that moment happened. The listeners are so confused, but you and I know what's going on. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> I was so fucking pumped, and I, I thought of you immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah incredible moment. Um, yeah, I, I dug it, too. I dug it, too. I, I don't think it's my favorite on the list. If I were to rank it, it's probably number two or three. Okay. It's probably number two or three for me, but I... I I saw a lot of the same things that you saw in it. Um, and it's just incredibly like violent and I would not show it to your children. Well, Be careful. Was- if you're like, if you just got an HBO max subscription and you have 10 year olds and they're just like cycling through the entire Ghibli, uh, library, just like maybe, be selective it's incredibly violent yeah like it's like the stuff of nightmares some of it oh yeah yeah so i I agree i was very very surprised by that because i haven't seen another one of his films get this gruesome at times no there's certainly not another one on this list so uh yeah princess mononoke great very happy yeah uh okay spirited away yeah let's do this quick uh starring uh chase jason marsden and suzanne plesh plechette 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 uh winner of best animated feature at the oscars to this day it is the only foreign film to win best animated feature so it's cool i think it was either the first or second no i think this was the first i thought it was the first too it was shrek was the second right yeah that's right right okay interesting okay yeah this yeah this is the first ever best animated feature and that's a good choice i would say uh incidentally highest grossing Japanese movie of all time. Which is so interesting. But number one. Isn't that cool? Number two is Titanic. <laughs> number one is Spirited Away. That says a lot about Japan. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's you know awesome. what? Maybe I was too hard on Japan earlier. <laughs> you were too hard on Japan? Why? What are you talking about? I mean, we look at our box office and it's like Avengers, Avengers 2, Avengers 3, Black Panther. Dude, I see it a lot with when it comes to like J- Japanese cinema and just how they they've sort of remained wholesome they just have better taste than us i think they might they just have better taste i think they might number one all time that's insane yeah uh during her family's move to the suburbs a sullen 10 year old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods witches and spirits and where humans are changed into beasts um I, i wanted to mention this uh this is something that came up in my research but according to wikipedia miyazaki doesn't write screenplays now, I don't see how that's possible in something like Princess Mononoke, because that is a very elaborate story that you kind of have to plan in advance. Yeah. But he claims that when he sits down with a pen and paper, he draws each frame and lets the story come to him as he draws. So it's like a Fury Road scenario where they drew it and then the... But they still wrote a script to Fury no, they, Road, though. No, they, they didn't? No, they, they, they made a comic book. Okay. That they made into a movie. Okay. Well, then I guess, yeah. Yeah. There it is. Interesting. Uh, um, this movie is the most obvious example of that, of that sort of freewheeling sensibility. Yeah. You know? 
The, I see it. The thing feels like a dream the entire time. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The entire thing. I mean, and not always the most pleasant dream. Certainly not. But a dream. Yeah. That's, that's certainly true. Yeah. And so like, I think that's what spoke to me the most when I watched it. It sort of had like that absurd dreamlike quality and it, it truly Miyazaki let his imagination run wild when he made this. Oh God. Yeah. This is the most creatively unbounded movie on the list. (laughs) You know, just all of these creatures are just so unique and these scenes are so evocative. Like I mentioned the train sequence earlier, which some reason just moves me in ways that I can't understand. It just like is on a visceral level, not on like a mental level. That's like one of the one of the most impressive things he's done, though. It's actually been cited many times that train sequence. Yeah, because I agree with it totally. But it's more, it's like existential in a way that you don't necessarily account for, and you don't know what it is about it. It's just like I've been there. Yeah, I know exactly what this character is going through, even if I can't articulate it. Yeah, and you just, I, I love movies. I honestly, I love movies that are this difficult to talk about in that specific way. Right. Where it's like, it's not meant to be expressed in words. You're just supposed to sit with it and love it in, in a more, you know, visceral artistic level. Yeah. I love that. And this movie is all that. Yeah. Um, there's so many great scenes, the stuff with the furnace room and the yeah. guy with all of his soot monsters. That's always something that stuck with me when I first saw it. And just the, the, the sudden shock of seeing that guy with all the arms yeah. and how quiet it is and how she doesn't like overreact. She's mm-hmm. just like, where am I? What is this? And she does a good job at contending with it. And I just, I was like, I, I don't know. It's again, another moment. I can't fully explain why it works so well for me. Mm-hmm. It just kind of does. And maybe it's just because the movie is very consistent with its, uh, surrealness, I guess. Yeah. It feels in place that, I mean, again, like, you know, David Lynch is always, he always has his surrealness like in check. Yeah. But it, you would think it wouldn't be because it's so crazy sometimes, but it just, works mm-hmm. i don't know it's like a true art artist vision yeah so the bath sequence <laughs> amazing again that's just like an incredibly satisfying visual can only be told with animation i yeah. love moments like that where it's like this particular moment could not be articulated this feeling this look cannot be articulated in any other medium it has to be live animation you couldn't draw this in a comic book you couldn't do this in live action film this is Right here, right now, this is the only way this particular moment can be told. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing for that reason. The stuff with the pigs, the parents turning into pigs for the first time yeah. is terrifying. That walk, that just long walk over the bridge mm-hmm. and into this world. He really takes his time with the exposition here, yeah. um, which doesn't necessarily happen in his other movies. Like Princess Mononoke gets into it pretty quick. Howl's Moving Castle gets into it pretty quick. Um this one, there's a lot of buildup to driving up yep. the driveway, finding the cave, walking through the cave, over the bridge. And as we said before, it's quiet. There's so much yeah. sky. There's so much atmosphere and ambiance. There's this sense of dread. Um, this is something that only Miyazaki could do. You can't explain to another animator how to re- replicate this. I love know? those artists, though, that are, again, like, you, once he's gone, we'll, we'll never get a movie like this again. Yeah. Which is sad, but, you know, at the same time, it helps you appreciate him now. Yeah. And how special he is. I, yeah, man. It's it's interesting, though. Like, I like movies that are only work as animation. But it's, we're going to talk about another movie that didn't have to be yes. animated. But, like, I have, you know, fun things to say about that one, too. Mm-hmm. So, 
I, the fact that he he can weave in and out of that and understands his medium so deeply, you know, and in yeah. a much you know in a much more I, I don't know human level than other animators probably would. Yeah, I mean, this is great stuff. <laughs> I don't, I, I dude, it's like a perfect movie. His, his frames feel like an extension of himself. Oh God, that's yeah, kind yeah. again like kind of a film snobby thing to say, but it like feels like his pen, his page. Everything you're seeing is just it's uh, uh, his arm outstretched onto the screen. Yeah, you know, I agree. Uh, amazing. We'll say from nitpicking that shit at the end with the river spirit talking to the dragon in 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 the sky went way over my head when I saw it. I didn't get it, and I was like, "Oh, right, this is what I don't like about anime." But that moment was fleeting, and it went away real quick because then I got right back into the movie, and it swept me away again. But yep. like all that talk about the spirits and everything was. Too much telling, not enough showing. In that one moment. I agree. Remove that scene from the movie and it's perfect. I agree. Yeah. That's spirited away. Yeah. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle is next. 2004 movie. Based on a British novel by Diana Wynne Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that whole cultural thing confused me. It's like, <laughs> this is a British woman in a Japanese movie, but it's an English dub. So in the Japanese dub, does she have a British accent? Like, what's the deal? Don't worry about it. Confused me a lot. Anyway, uh, this version stars uh, Gene Simmons, Christian Bale, yeah. <laughs> Lauren Bacall, Emily Mortimer, Josh Hutcherson, and Billy Crystal as Calcifer. <laughs> it's nominated for uh, good Foley work, by the way, with that with what? that napkin. Pretty good Foley work. Pretty satisfying. Adam wiping his face with the tissue. Okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Nominated for Best Animated Feature. Did not win at the Oscars. Number six highest grossing Japanese movie of all time. Really? Yeah. Wow. When an unconfident young woman is cursed with an old body by a spiteful witch, her only chance of breaking the spell lies with a self-indulgent yet insecure young wizard and his companions in his legged walking castle. <laughs> This is the most Disney-fied movie on the list. Yes, that's definitely true. <laughs> and I think that's what bothered me the most about it. I think that it was my least favorite movie we did of the five for that very reason. Mine too. Okay. Uh, I was very generous with my grade for this cause just because I feel like the craft is so strong. And again, it's like like all of his movies, the amount of feeling that comes out of any given moment or, or, or sequence or whatever is just like, again, like it's so unique to him and I just love that flavor and it's always satisfying. That being said, the story is a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. <laughs> uh, it's very hard to follow. Uh, I think it's in for that reason. It was often a little boring for me. I hate to say I can't it. disagree. Yeah, I can't disagree. Um, it is saved because I do enjoy a lot of the interplay with the characters for the most part. Um, it was, but it's just like at a certain point, it's like, okay, yeah, I don't quite know, like what I'm getting at here. I don't know why I'm being brought along in this journey and is the ultimate effect just for Sophie to save Howl from himself and for them to fall in love. It's like, okay, fine, but I don't really buy that romance. Um, so yeah, I don't really know why they're in love that I I guess that's because he saved her from some rapists once, I guess that's basically what he he was in an alleyway at the right time. She's just infatuated with, yeah, I was very, uh, 
like I gave I gave this movie four stars. That's too generous for yeah for for like technical ability alone. And you know again some the movie's got like lots of great moments in of of like fun and adventure which I deeply appreciated. Yeah, but I I think about it and I'm just like yeah it didn't really connect with me a lot. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I had no idea what was happening in the third yeah. act of this movie. I just had no clue. Yeah, me too. I had to Wikipedia the, the plot synopsis, which is not a great sign after you watch a movie. No. Anytime you have to rush to the synopsis. Uh, I don't know like how Howell died and became reborn or what happened to the flame or <laughs> like why that castle stopped moving. And like just none of that made sense to me. I didn't understand who the witch was. And who the real villain of the movie was yep. and all of the portals that they had to go through. Um, I kind of, again, I trusted Miyazaki through it and I'm not sure I should have because I, I again, I, I was just sort of, I was just sort of lost. I was appreciating the visuals, I guess, but I was just really lost. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it, it would be different if I rewatched it. That's why I guess I was so generous with it because it's like so beloved and it's like widely accepted as one of his best, but I was just confused yeah. by it the whole time. Like again, a lot of like the emotional beats, which should have been more impactful, just didn't quite work on me. Yeah. I sort I, what I did appreciate was Sophie's like, like, um, bettering of the curse. Like when she would kind of go in and out yeah, of that. Yeah. She dip in and out. Yeah. That was really affecting. I was kind of confused as to me. why she was dipping in and out though. Well, again, like I, I didn't get it at first, but then the more it went along and the, and, and the more of her actions were v- revealed, it, it started to make sense to me. Like in the way she just kind of like opened up her heart or, 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 her, you know, showed her passion and it's just like, okay, you're, you're, you're bettering than, 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 was the way I was interpreting it. I had like a very specific. Oh, you're, you're saying like, as she showed some of her youth emotionally, Mm -hmm. the young person came out of that 90 year old. It felt that way. Yeah. Again, that love and passion and energy that she always had, you know, that again, sort of rising above what the curse was doing to her. Yeah. And just almost disregarding it entirely for something that actually mattered to her. So the plot of this movie involves a witch turning this young girl into a 90 year old woman. And her having to contend with that, and she goes looking for some sort of cure and or some some way to break the spell, and falls in love with this guy Howell, who has this castle which is on four legs, yes, and is just walking around because yeah, he is a sorcerer, and it's walking around because Calcifer, which is his flame spirit or fire spirit, is controlling it, voiced of course by Billy Crystal in the American edit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, uh, I thought that like plot device was kind of clever that spell of turning someone into a 90 year old yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if i've ever seen that in an animated movie before I feel, it feels like something that i feel like jim henson would have done I, yeah i feel like i've seen it somewhere but yeah. I, I can't put my finger on it i thought that was like a pretty cool idea and i also liked the way that miyazaki played it because she wasn't exactly horrified when she found out she was 90 yeah she kind of just took it on the shoulder took it on the chin and just like uh, i i don't know just like what about being a 90 year old and started acting like a 90 year old, which, which I, I thought was interesting. Oh, it was very charming too to see her do it. I, it. It didn't just age her 90. It also like aged her spirit. 90. Her behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So she said at one point like, oh, the nice thing about being 90 is I don't get scared by anything anymore. <laughs> so she just didn't. She didn't get scared by anything that happened. So like she actually aged her soul age. That was kind of interesting. Um, I think that like it's kind of a nightmare being turned 90. <laughs> But Miyazaki does not play it as such. Yeah, I know. Um, and I guess that, I don't know, that's kind of cool. It, it's sort of an affectionate way of thinking about age. Like, it, it's 
it, it truly treats age like an asset and not a and not a detriment. You know, I agree. And there's many there's other characters that play off of that, like the quote unquote evil witch, yeah, and how she's sort of been corrupted by the idea of age and how that like ruins her and makes her this husk of a human being. Where Sophie looks at it in a much more like like at first realistic and then eventually optimistic point of view. Mm -hmm. And she's much, much better off because of it. Yeah. And yeah, the movie has too much heart. Like it's undeniable, which is why I think it's, you know, at the very least uh, quite good. Technically, it's not a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. No, not at all. Not at all. But, um, uh, yeah, but again, like at a certain point, it's, it's just like, I don't know what's, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. I was I, like, I, I, I really was like, like quite lost at a certain point where it's like, I don't, what, we're cleaning this house to what end <laughs> we're go, we're going here to what end? What is right. this war you're fighting? How like the war was really confusing. What was that? I just, I had no idea what the conflict was. I didn't know what Howell's role in the conflict was. Okay. It, and that's not to say that I, uh, that the film doesn't explain it. I'm sure there's a somewhere where is the, it a language thing? I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. I don't know. That's why, again, that's why I was so generous with it. I was like, okay, because I trust Miyazaki too much. Sure. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I was like, I feel like I missed something. I feel like I missed an entire chunk of the movie. That whole way. sequence where she goes to the palace and yeah. talks to that woman. Like, I, I don't know what this woman was asking for. I don't know why this woman wanted to trap Howell. I'm not sure what her motivations were. That scene where... um I'm sorry. What's the Sophie, right? Sophie's the main character. When her mom shows up to the castle and just starts yeah. like she just recognizes that she's a 90 year old woman now. It doesn't do anything. And she just cool with it. Yeah, like when I, did that happen? Like when what there was never a moment where her mom laid eyes on Sophie for the first time. So like no. I, I feel like a scene was cut out there. Yeah, there was. It just felt like a lot was kind of missing. Yeah, I don't know. And like I said, maybe somewhere the film did a did a. There was an entire chunk where it, it exposes all of it, but I just I just didn't get it. Yeah, I will also say the voice acting here. I kind of wish that I watched the American. Or the, I'm sorry, the Japanese version. Not because like the voice acting was bad. I enjoyed listening to Christian Bale at all times, <laughs> but I feel like Lassiter or whoever was overseeing the the voice work got a little too carried away. I mean, casting Billy Crystal is really a problem, right? Cause I, I doubt that the original character had a Billy Crystal vibe. V- Billy Crystal's oddly specific. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, getting Larry David. <laughs> yeah. It's like you only, or Woody Allen to, to sure. for more clarity, you only cast Woody Allen as Woody Allen types. Right. Which, which is why he plays Z and ants. Sure. <laughs> so no, Billy Crystal is Mike Wazowski. Yes. But that's a very American character. Yes, I know. The Billy Crystal shtick is a, that's a very American yeah. shtick. I'm not sure a lot of Japanese voice actors have that same shtick. No, no, they don't have that same energy or, or they're in touch with the culture the same way. It's totally different. So the second you hear Billy Crystal as a talking flame changes the entire field. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is a Disney movie now. Yeah. Like I'm watching a 90s Disney movie. That specific character felt like it's right out of Beauty and the Beast. It's literally the candlestick from Beauty and the Beast. You know? Yes. Yes. I agree. So like, again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's not the original vision. And I, I have a feeling if I watch that original version, 
I, I would feel much differently about the movie. I'm sure the voice actor would have taken that role a little more seriously. Like, I wonder how much of that character was actually used for levity. Yeah. Because he's entirely levity in this, essentially. Yes. And you're right, because as soon as he's introduced, it's a different movie to me. Yes. And I was like, okay, uh, n- no. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, again, like you said, it's like, I like Billy Crystal, like, objectively cut everything out. Like, his performance is fine, and I like the character of Calcifer fine enough. And Billy Crystal has a funny voice. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in, in everything, with everything else being a Hayao Miyazaki film, I'm like... Right. Out of place. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is an adaptation of a British book. True. So, there are some Western qualities to it. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily American qualities, but like I thought about that, that scarecrow turnip head bouncing yeah. around like that's just wizard of Oz. Yeah. That, that's a wizard of Oz character. Like a lot of this just feels very Americanized, very like Western. Well, it's, it's, it feels to me more like a raw doll story. Oh yeah. Good point. Like I got a lot of James and the giant peach vibes yeah. throughout. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if I I didn't necessarily get that with like the sense of humor or something like that. It's just like it's a type of fantasy that I can only point to like Roald Dahl. Yes. So it's a little too whimsical. Sure. I guess too whimsical for Miyazaki. You know, I just kind of want to see him playing a different instrument mm-hmm. and to see him just play the same instrument that all American animators yeah. play. Kind of disappointed. But <laughs> he, he it works. It's just not like the same way his other movies work. Yeah. It's not as like deep and rich and impactful. Or anywhere near as affecting, rather. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think we're on the same page with this one. Yes, I, I think I, we're on exactly the same page. I have no idea what happened in the climax. No. I, I don't know how the day was saved, um, but it happened. It was a happy ending, and I guess the war ended, and everybody's happy now. I think the story is, from what I saw, was absurd. Yeah. And I got none of it. But the the feel and the vibe and a lot of the interplay between the characters was charming enough to make me say I really liked it. Okay. But it's got problems for me. Yeah. yeah. I will say one of the advantages of the American dub is that you get one little moment where Christian Bale does the Batman voice. Oh, with the scarecrow, you mean? There's what, it's, or the, or the crow, the, rather. Where he turns into the crow yeah, yeah, yeah. and he becomes Batman. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> it's too late for me. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, Sophie, <laughs> Sophie, <laughs> you're gonna love me. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's how it's moving castle. Yeah, yeah. We were both kind of mixed on it. Yeah, that's fine though. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Yeah. Guess what? Hayao Miyazaki, great director. Sucks actually. Great filmmaker. He's a shitty director. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's end with his most recent film. Mm-hmm. Hi-o. Again, breaking the rules for the first time. Yeah, well, it's okay. No, we've done that a few times. Have we? I mean, we did the Bombach movies. Yeah, that's true. But that was like a mixture of like um, 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 uh, like movie hopping in Movie Hall of Fame, I thought. No, but we did Francis Ha. That's a ten, that happened less than 10 years ago. That was like 2014 or something. Was it? No, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. We're breaking the rules a little bit here. We're super breaking the rules for another podcast coming up. Definitely. Uh, the Wind Rises is from 2013. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. It stars the American version, at least. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, Martin Short, William H. Macy, Mandy Patinkin, Jennifer Grey, Elijah Wood. Don't say the very last Stanley one. Stanley Tucci. Okay, time out. This- heard, you heard this list. 
stacked. Stacked cast. Stacked. <laughs> of all those names, uh, let me ask you a question. Did you look up the cast before you watched the movie? No. Okay. How many of those voices did you recognize when you heard them? John Krasinski. Yes. Martin Short. Yes. Um, I was... I, Joseph Gordon-Lett, I'm, I'm like, I know it. I know it. I know it. Who the hell is it? And yeah. then I looked it up and I was like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, and I got Emily Blunt. Okay, I did not. Um... <laughs> There, then there were other ones. I, I, who, who is Stanley Tucci? I, I didn't. Stanley Tucci is the Italian pilot in his dreams. Is it? Yeah. Okay, so that one I didn't get. Yeah, that's Tucci. Who, who plays like the big boss? It sounded like F. Murray Abraham. I wasn't entirely. I sure. think that's Patinkin. Is that Patinkin? I think that's Manny Patinkin. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So there were a few that I didn't recognize. There were a couple of voices where I'm like, oh, I know this voice from somewhere. But that was Joseph Gordon-Levitt from me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Krasinski. I spot kind of a weird casting decision there, but yeah, whatever. Uh, and yeah, Martin Short sticks out like a sore thumb. There is one though, but there's one. <laughs> there's one that is so blatantly obvious. I almost wasn't watching the movie at that point. <laughs> it was impossible. And I know for other people, it would be very different. So I'm not docking the film. Right. But for us, man, <laughs> for us, it is impossible. <laughs> It is impossible to watch this movie in a bubble. It really... it. Okay. This is a great voice performance. Let me be clear. But it's impossible for me not to be taken out of the movie. Oh, God, no. I, I, I'm right there with you. It yanks me right out of it. Because you, you and I both, we were just in utter shock and, right. and, and sheer joy at the same time when we heard it. So there's an Italian... No, I'm sorry. A, a German... <laughs> Nazi is he a Nazi? He's more of just like a. I thought he was a defector. Like he didn't want anything to do. Yes. Okay. Exactly. He's like a spy. Yeah. Who approaches uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character at one point, <laughs> and he is voiced by, of course, uh, the inimitable Werner Herzog. <laughs> yeah, baby. You must destroy this tape. Never let anyone listen to it. You must destroy this. I was so happy. Werner! <laughs> I had less than no idea he was in this movie. <laughs> less than zero idea. I swear to God, I leapt. <laughs> I leapt. I thought of you instantaneously. Unbelievable. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, Nico must have loved this. What a warm blanket. <laughs> what a warm blanket moment. What? It's just perfect. It's just, per again, for us, we're taken directly out of it, but we're, we're, I think we're exceptions. I still think, though, if you're <laughs> someone who doesn't know who Werner Herzog is and you hear Werner Herzog's voice, you're going to do a bit of a double take. It's, a, it's an intense voice. It's really intense. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing in this. Thank God I, wa I, I watched the American version. I wasn't going to say anything. I was like, okay, okay. If I say something, it's going to ruin the whole thing. Yes. I need, I need him to just sit down and experience this the way that I did. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we had, again, the same reaction. Yeah. Uh, this is... A look at the life of Hiro Horikoshi, the man who designed Japanese fighter pilots during World War II, number 23 on Japanese all-time box office. Cool. Hayao Miyazaki, my God, the man is profitable. Yes, he is. Um, I don't think I've ever seen an animated biopic before. Me neither. I was incredibly surprised to see this. I was like, oh, this is such a different and interesting approach. And yeah, nothing else like it as far as I'm concerned. The only one I could think of is Pocahontas. It's not a... No. But that's not really a biopic. I mean, it's about a real 
character, but it's a fictionalized version, and it's still like a fantastical world. Yeah, it's not even close to this. You know, even though this is very fantastical at times, yeah, like when it chooses not to be, is still incredibly, you know, you know, close to what it probably was like. Yeah, this could have been a live action movie. Sure, there's nothing in the script that that screams animation. All like the the dream sequences could have been, you know, CGI. I'm sure. Yeah, and quite easily, I think. I don't think that would be much of a stretch. Um, yeah, that is the only element that is like unique to animation are those dream sequences. The rest is like a pretty grounded, just story about a dude that actually existed. Yep. Um, now, I did do a little research into this. Hiro Horikoshi was a real guy. Yes. He designed the uh, Zero fighter pilot, uh, fighter aircraft during World War II. Mm-hmm. Um. All the personal stuff, though, is not real. That is based off of a book called The Wind Has Risen. Oh. It was a short story, actually. And all that stuff with like the tuberculosis, the falling in love, uh, that's written by a guy named T- Tetsuo Hori, which is also like shouted out at the end of the movie during the credits. Okay. It's like in memory of this guy. So like all of the interpersonal stuff is fictionalized, borrowed from somewhere else. But the guy was real. So to even call it a biopic, I guess, isn't entirely true. It's more of like an interpretation, an artistic interpretation of this guy's life. That's interesting to me, though. Yeah. So there you go. Actually, kind of similar to Pocahontas in that way. Yeah. Um, according to Miyazaki, this is his last movie. Again, though, his sixth retirement announcement. But he is, in fact, making a new one currently. Uh, yeah. So he's a liar. A dirty, <laughs> rotten liar bastard <laughs> and apparently he was inspired to make this movie after reading a quote from hirakoshi uh, who at one point said all i wanted to do was make something beautiful hmm. and he's like yeah this is the story for me that's really sweet what'd you think of this movie i love this movie okay okay and it's as simple as that yeah this movie's great for me personally okay uh <laughs> go on keep going i mean i i Again, there's probably some debate about whether or not this should have been animated. I'm sure. I don't care. Mm -hmm. It was a choice. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the choice worked quite well for me, quite deeply. And I mean, there is like a, 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 maybe it works better in animation in a way. I mean, the movie is recalling sort of an, an, you know, it's an old, old thing. It's a distant memory. So it's reality, but it's not quite reality. No matter what we do, if we tell it from this perspective, it's always going to be that way. And things are going to be exaggerated and things are going to be viewed as more mythological or fantastical than other things like an earthquake or a fire, etc. And I just think it sort of opened Miyazaki up to, you know, just saying, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, champion in what I think is a very, very beautiful thought and story, you know, in, in my own unique way. And that's, I don't know, I think it's expressed quite beautifully throughout the film. It's just about a character's journey to create something he loves. Yes. And that thing that he loves will ultimately be used for great destruction. And it sort of tackles that theme, which yes. is incredibly mature. You don't see that in animation ever. Nope. Um, although the movie is not like violent. No. Or like explicitly anti-war in the way that something like maybe Princess Mononoke is. Mm-hmm. Um You know, it really does grapple with a lot of like psychological trauma, like the the. Yeah. The beginning of this movie when Japan is being bombed and the city yeah. is on fire and the and the uh, the train falls off the rails yeah. during the earthquake. Which is great. It's like 
yeah, th- there is a lot of just like real human trauma here without being too exploitative or exploitative no. at all. No, I agree. I agree. But th- the way they do this stuff is the way you would animate it. Like, like they do it in like there is, yeah, there's an earthquake sequence, but it is the most animated earthquake sequence. It's incredible. There is a fire, a massive fucking fire. And it is the most animated version of that. Mm-hmm. And the sound design in this is so interesting. Yeah. So different. I think it was, were those human sounds doing yes. the plane noises? Yes. I could have sworn that was, which I loved. I did too. I really love that. Yeah. Cause it again, taps into like this, this, uh, Jiro's like childlike, like joy for just what this is. Mm-hmm. This is something that was so close to me as a kid and it still feels the same way now. And that's just how deep his spirit is for just building fucking planes. Yeah. But then like the movie will, will use that same technique for an earthquake and a fire. Yeah. And there's just these weird, like, like ominous groans mm. that are purveying the entire scene. And it just, it's haunting yeah. and it works so, so well. And you know, I, 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 again, it just makes me think of like, this is like a distant memory, mm. this whole movie. And I just really love that approach. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're hundred percent right. The, the sound design is incredible. And again, that's because Hayao is so good with silence. He doesn't yeah. fill your ears with too much sound, too much stimulation. Yeah. Um, so when the sound effects are used, they're used sparingly, but they're effective. He gets the most out of them. A lot of wind and just beautiful atmosphere. A lot of wind. Again, a lot of sky. I just, there's so much blue in his movies, you know, there, there are so few animated movies that just like linger on the sky. Mm -hmm. This is literally a movie about the sky, about journeying (laughs) to the sky. Could you imagine if there was no sky in it? Yeah, That's a good point. Like, how do you make a movie about planes without the sky? (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's about. Uh, as you said, building something beautiful, it's about like this calling to build, to create, but also like the ramifications of that, like because people are going to have to use your invention similar to making movies. Well, I think that's probably why he made it. Definitely. Like he was called to make this work of animation, but like financial influences get involved and the audience misinterprets what you mean and your movie ends up being used for sometimes evil not always good and that's what this movie is about it's about just like creating a great plane a young boy who wanted to be a pilot had bad vision and decided to build the planes instead and then ultimately like that plane is used during pearl harbor and is responsible for you know thousands of deaths um you know, that's a really complicated idea for an animated movie and one that I think you can only make later in your life. I think it's very important that Hayao was in his 70s when he made this. Oh, I agree. I agree. I kept thinking like it's very clear that he needed to make this movie. Yeah. But those tend to be like some of the best movies for me. And we talk about this a lot where where a director comes along and they don't ne- they don't even need to keep making movies necessarily. Like we cite Clint all the time with Unforgiven. Where yes. That's just a movie that he had to make or so help him God. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's the same way here. You feel like Tayo was not going to be able to rest until he contended with this. So it's more of like him just like getting his feelings out there than so much like like. A, a work that was like a hired gun to make an entertaining film. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like that matters to him at all mm. in this. It's just more of his own tone poem. Yeah, for sure. Um, all of those dream sequences are incredible. It's so charming. Oh my. So I, incredibly charming. Stanley Tucci. Tucci, baby. <laughs> so good. Cut, cut, <laughs> cut the film. <laughs> oh, he's the best. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And you know, this, this whole idea of like the beautiful creation that results in death. Like, I love that. That thing. whole idea, the atomic bomb there. I, I, that's why so much great art has been made about the atomic bomb and yeah. like allegories about the atomic bomb are so moving. No, it's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I hate to do this, but it does kind of make me think back to, uh, to the original Godzilla and I knew this was coming and, and citing the oxygen destroyer, which we know is a stupid name, <laughs> but the character is contending with the same. Yeah, thing. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we need like a great Manhattan Project movie. Do we have one? God, I don't know. They made like a TV show. Yeah, I know. A couple know, years I back. I don't really know. Yeah, I guess not. There needs to be one about like Einstein. You know what I mean? And like all those scientists that were working on the atomic bomb and like the regret about building that thing. Because that's basically what this movie is. I would love to do that movie because it's essentially it's a race. Yeah. It's a race to get this thing done before like the bad guys get a hold of this information. Right. And in going so fast and trying to get it done, they forget the fact that, oh, we probably shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Definitely. Yeah. So. And I'm sure there was a lot of mess uh, during the actual project. A lot of like spies trying to get shit. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that's the thing, though, on both sides and how like Eisen's, uh, Einstein was just completely just just shat on by his own people yeah. because he's a German and uh, uh, he's, he's going against the Nazis essentially. Right. You know? Right. And how every, a lot of people like kind of turned on him, but I love just, even just like the story of how, when they finally uh, set off the first bomb and the anticipation and not quite knowing what it was going to look like to yeah. their, how they were changed uh, until to it, <laughs> as human until beings. It happened. Yeah. Like, Oh God, what do we do? Right. <laughs> right. You, oh my God. I would love to see that on film. Could you imagine what those people must've been thinking the moment that thing went off? Oh, definitely. It's like, oh, what have we done? It's Frank. <laughs> no, it's Frankenstein's monster. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Dr. Frankenstein. What have I created? Um, yeah, I, I will say I'm not a huge fan of this genre of biopic. Usually like that specific period piece, a little meandering, about the creation of something like I think about like the imitation game, for example, <laughs> like that movie bores me to death. Um, I think maybe the fact that it was animated actually gave it some more charm. Yeah, I agree. And I prefer this version. I, I would like to see more animated biopics. Like if if, if imitation game was animated, I think I would have liked it more <laughs> animated by Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Uh, but, you know, there's that scene in the middle where uh where uh, the the uh, the main character is throwing the paper airplane up at mm. his love and it's just soaring up and down and like that's just a great Miyazaki visual yeah. motif. Oh, so obviously him too. Like yeah. it's unmistakable. Yeah. One thing I have to say about this movie too, by the way, that's separates it from say Howl's Moving Castle is that I absolutely love the relationship between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Emily Blunt. Really character. good. Really good. So beautiful. Yeah. That's how you do it. And heartbreaking by yeah. the way. Really heartbreaking. Like a lot of like the most powerful scenes are just him just laying down in bed with her, trying to hold her hand as she just wants him to work. Oof. It's just it's heavy stuff, bro. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so, so much. I was like, that's how you do love and affection on movies. I, yeah. In movies, rather. Oh, it was great. It's a heavy movie. It is. This movie's got some shit, man. It's one. It, the difference between like this and Princess Mononoke is like I came out of Princess Mononoke. I was like, fuck yes. You were man. exhilarated. And then I came out. I want to behead some pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
like that sentence at all. I love pigs. Pigs okay. are like one of my favorite animals. Okay. I love pigs. Okay. It's my love for babe. Yeah. Best movie. Better than all these movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so false. So false. <laughs> okay. Babe pig in the city. Better than all these films. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I came out of this one. I'm just like, wow, that was a great movie. Mm. Very different experience. Yeah. yeah it, it'll, it'll kill you, man. Again, not for the kids. No, be no. very careful parents with HBO Max be very careful no these are the most mature animated films you're gonna find as far as I'm concerned for yeah. my money anyway yeah for sure um, I just uh, yeah I, I liked it a lot Me too. I liked it a whole lot um, anything else about it you want to say yeah I loved um, one two three four out of the five movies which is I don't think that's ever happened <laughs> on this spot <laughs> where it's like I love almost all the films that we nominate yeah I'll tell you what, man. I'm I, I've become uh, cultured, I guess. Cult, more cultured, more you, cultured. You got you got some some a little few ways to go. You got to dip your toes into more French cinema, I would say. You know, the plenty of time, man. Plenty of time yeah. and plenty of podcasts still to record. I really, you got to see Four Hundred Blows. I just think that's so your your kind of movie. Okay, you would love it. All right. Well, we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, I was very moved by by Old Hio. Um, and uh, yeah, just a genius. Yes. I hope he makes at least two more. We'll oh, see, though, right? How old is he? He's 80. He's 80. He can maybe do it. Yeah. He's gonna, we're going to get at least one more. Yeah. At least one more. Clint's 90, and he probably has like five left. Fucking Clint. He's <laughs> <so bad. laughs> they, they, he, I don't know. I feel like he's just a robot now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So where are you on, on the uh, Hall of Fame of it all here? I have my favorite. I mean, it's a uh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I think it's a two horse race personally. There's an argument to be had for like, again, the, the, the sort of impact and legacy of my neighbor Totoro, even though I don't think it's the best. Mm -hmm. Um, and spirit of a way I think is maybe ob objectively the best, but I fuck. I love princess Mononoke. Jesus Christ. I love it. I, I don't see that. One. Yeah. I, know. I, I don't see that one just because like, this is a, again, a very commercial film studio mm -hmm. that sells a lot of merchandise and that has taken on this iconic status and i think that's on the backs of two of these movies and princess mononoke is not one of them yeah but it's also one of the highest grossing japanese films of all time. certainly yeah no well beloved within the studio ghibli filmography one of the most beloved and i think also you know quite different from the other two mm -hmm. which is another thing i love about it the fact that it's as you know violent or, or edgy as it is is kind of nice yep I think it's uh, one of the most like sweeping stories of the bunch in terms of just like sheer entertainment. Certainly impressive, yeah. Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's honestly probably is my favorite. But yeah, I get it. I Totoro is Mickey Mouse. I mean, that's the image. Uh, it's one of the earlier Ghibli movies. Yep, uh, helped establish the studio. We don't have Spirited Away without Totoro. True. Um, I do think though that Spirited Away is. Totoro in its fullest form. Mm -hmm. It's this entire vision, this entire project fully realized. Um, yeah. And I, I also just think the best movie on the list is spirited away. So I'm, I yeah. guess cool with either Totoro or spirited <laughs> away, but I would lean towards the latter. Uh, yeah. That. I mean, I like, I mean, even though I, I don't know which I like more, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I'm not even sure spirit away is technically the best on the list. It's pretty close, but, uh, it's close enough. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's close enough. Where it's like, is it the best? I don't know. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of the point. And yeah, probably the, the, at the end of the day, it, in my opinion, sort of eclipses my neighbor Totoro. It's probably the greatest film. Here. Okay. So, uh, what are we doing? We can do spirited away. Okay. 
The only one I would feel bad about is Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. I would even be fine if you said, you know what, the wind rises. That would really touch me. But uh, yeah, yeah, Spirited Away. Okay, good. Congratulations <laughs> to Spirited Away. <laughs> Movie Hall of Fame. Inductee. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Me too. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's Hayo. Good job, man. Watched a lot of anime this week, Adam. I know. And I did it for you. But it was good. You liked it. Did it for the good of the podcast. I I think you liked it. You watched a lot of uh, uh, Asian cinema. Oh, yeah. You watched a lot of Asian cinema. I watched a lot of movies this week. (laughs) And I watched The King of Staten Island. So how about that? That's fucking dumb. (laughs) That's fucking dumb. I have a movie for you. It's a short one. It's only 29 minutes long. It's called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Oh, I know what this is. Give it a watch. You watched that? Yeah, I watched it. Is it. Where is it? Is it on like Vimeo or something? It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Wow, they let it on YouTube? Okay, so this is the Ari Aster short film, right? Yeah. Okay, how is it? Do you know what it's about? No. Okay. We're I gonna, know it's about a family. We're going to watch the first two or three minutes after we're done. Oh, okay. All right. And we could shut it off after that, <laughs> but we're doing it. <laughs> how is it? Yes, it's good. It's quite good, actually. But I mean, if you want to, it could be the most horrifying thing he's ever made. And I'm not really exact. Like, it could very well be more horrifying than Midsummer or Hereditary. Hereditary is more traditionally scary, but this thing is just like, could only come from the mind of the most demented fucking human being. And I have no idea how he got the people to make this movie. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Do we have to? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a teaser for next week. <laughs> and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on, uh, on that particular film. <laughs> also coming next week, we're talking the movies of Bong. Bong. Do you say Bong or Bong? I like saying Bong. I go Bong. Unless I go Bong. Bong. It's more satisfying. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. Uh, five movies that you can catch up on. Memories of a Murder, The Host, Okja, Snowpiercer, Parasite. One of those five. We'll earn a spot next week. Uh, and we're going to record that now. But through the magic of podcast land, you'll hear it a week from now. You have no idea. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, and that's it, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. This was fun. Yes, it was. I love you. Not you, the audience. Yeah, okay. okay. Ditto. Just want to make that clear. Uh, join our discord go to the website tmt.media it's on the sidebar join our discord get in the conversation bong joon ho by the way the winner of our uh poll yeah our listener poll on which director's filmography you wanted us to cover the people have spoken so if you want to get in on those conversations i put up a poll every once in a while want to know what y'all think hit us up discord we love talking to you mm-hmm. that's it yeah until next time adam I give up. I see no point in living if I can't be beautiful. (laughs) 